You'll open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. I want you to open back to Daniel chapter 1. we've gone through Daniel. Daniel was a young man when he was brought into captivity and exiled from Jerusalem to be in Babylon. He was probably in his middle teens, somewhere around 15 years of age. If we're thinking rightly about his upbringing, there's a context to Daniel's life. In verse 7 it says, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Look down at verse 17. As for these youths, speaking of the four, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams, that at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. Turn with me over to Daniel Chapter 2, when we consider Daniel's life, look once again at just the entrance of verse 36 of chapter 2. This was the dream, now we will tell its interpretation before the king. Look over in verse 8 of chapter 3. For this reason at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, The lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. 
But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Turn over to Daniel chapter 6. In verse 16, Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. Then the king arose at dawn, verse 19, at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. For weeks, we have considered a lot of information about Daniel his friends, and their lives. They are in a very precarious situation. The whole of their nation has been destroyed and taken over by a marauding nation that does not look to the God of Scripture, that wants to divorce Everything in a way that they can be seen as the ultimate of all peoples. Every king and nation that Daniel and his friends deal with do not bow the knee to the one true living God. How is it that Daniel and his friends made it through such difficult, trying times? The lamentations of Jeremiah are written at a time of great distress. In the lamentation we read this morning, it even says, basically, listen, Israel's saying, Judah's saying, even slaves rule over us. That's how low we are. This morning, by design, we will look back and think about how to pray for our children from the life of Daniel. How do we pray for our children from the life of Daniel? All of this tumult, all of this difficulty, all of this stress and strain. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen. 
But I want you to think for a minute. What if an actual different nation came in and took the United States of America over? We may have fought the battle as hard as we could, but we were completely taken over. And large swaths and groups of people in this nation were shipped and planed to different countries and nations abroad. And inhabitants from the other nation were brought in and they got to take over this land and its spoils. And we watched that happen over approximately two generations. Do you think we would be sad? Do you think it would be difficult? How do you raise children to go through great difficulty? How do you pray for your children to go through great difficulty? Maybe our nation won't be taken over. I I pray it's not. I have no idea of the future. I'm not even trying to predict it. I, I I don't know. But even if our nation's never taken over by another nation, there's enough difficulty in our own nation that we have to ask the question, how will we raise our children to live in this nation? How will we pray for our children to grow up in this nation? If we look back at the life of Daniel, I think we can ask several or answer that in several ways. Number one this morning, we need to ask the Lord to grant our children new souls. We need to ask the Lord to grant our children new souls. Daniel and his friends were only able to stand up against these things because they were converted. The Holy Spirit of God had changed their souls. He had given special grace to them, and our children need special grace. This morning, by design, there will be much narrative in this message, and I will not say anything brand new. But my hope is to get you to think wisely and importantly about asking yourself, are you praying for your children? Are you putting them before the Lord consistently? If you are, amen. And I encourage you to keep on. Because they need this special grace. They need regenerate souls. We need to ask God for grace and then we need to graciously sow the seed of God's word. Look at Daniel's life. One of the things that's notable about Daniel's life and his standing up for these things is that he actually had had God's word sown in his life. Now, we don't get some great picture of his mother or father and know exactly who they were and what they did, but he was raised in a believing home. He had this great understanding of who God is. It certainly was God's work, but God had used people to prepare him for that work, even as a teenager. We need to ask God for grace and graciously water the seed in God's word. We need to sow the seed of God's word and water the seed in God's word. 
things that you note about Daniel is his full trust in God in all of these circumstances. His friends, their full trust in God in all of these circumstances. I'm telling you right now, that was not just by happenstance, and those weren't just uh, your any everyday run-of-the-mill evangelicals. Let's take the millions of people in America and have someone say, we're going to throw you into a burning fire and let's see how many say what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Our God will deliver us. He's capable. But even if he doesn't, we still will not do what you ask us to do. How many of us would do what they did? This was a special grace worked in them And they had people who sowed the seed of God's word in them, and then that seed was also watered. They were watered and nurtured in God's word. They weren't just giving trite sayings, little quotable ideas. They were about to be burned to death. We need to ask the Lord to grant our children new souls. And then we need to sow and water that seed. Number two this morning. Ask the Lord to grant them firm minds. Ask the Lord to grant them firm minds. They need a mind set against the sins of the world. It's very obvious from the very first entrance of Daniel in chapter 1 and his life and even his friends' lives, it says Daniel set his mind to it. He was not going to defile himself. He set his mind to it. How did he set his mind to it without a new heart, without a regenerate soul? He set his mind to the things of God, yes, because he was regenerate. But also, the word of God had not only been sown, but watered in him in such a way that he could set his mind fervently. The setting of his mind against the sins of the world was not just something that was arbitrary. But Daniel had a mind to decipher between right and wrong. Certainly there's a sense of understanding that we all have the law of God written upon our hearts. But in our sinful flesh, left to ourselves, we don't follow that law. And we certainly don't follow follow it with the right motive. But what we see in Daniel and his friends is the reality that they are deciphering between right and wrong and they're doing it with right motive to praise God. This was about staying true to God. We need to ask the Lord to grant firm minds to our children. They would be able to decipher between right and wrong, not only in a knowledge sense, but they would do it with the right motive to give praise to the Lord. But Daniel also had a conscience to delineate between the world's good and God's good. Some ways, as I 
speak about how we help and raise and grow our children, these are also things that we can grow from too. We need consciences to delineate between the world's good and God's good. It's that watering of the word of God in us that creates that understanding. Most of the time, the problem with us not wanting to say no to the sins of the world is that somehow we think we're missing out on something good, something pleasurable. Young people, you're not missing out on something if God spoke rightly and pointedly against it. He's actually saving you some, from something that's harmful. Whether that's a, an immediate harm or a down-the-road harm or it's eternal harm. Look at Daniel and his friends and recognize they were often, according to Scripture, working And walking in a conscience that could delineate between the world's good and God's good. So much of the problem in our world today is that we've got everything upside down. All the things that we think are good are really not good. And we're fighting for all of those things Instead of rightly delineating, that's not good. God, he is good and he has and does good for his people. Not only does this take the sowing of the seed of God's word and that God would grant special grace and regenerate dead souls, but it takes the watering of that seed that our children can delineate between the world's good and God's good. And believe me, there's a big difference, right? Is the world holy in and of itself? Certainly God's the creator of all things and he's left great beauty even after the fall. But when I'm speaking of the world here, I'm, I'm, I'm using this in the context of the sense of the fleshliness of the world. Is that really what's good? Daniel had a will to desire the Lord's will over anything else. Daniel, you can say his friends too. That just makes things really long when I'm trying to make pointed statements. Daniel and his friends too. But Daniel had a will to desire the Lord's will over anything else. Are we praying that our young people and our children have that kind of a will? To desire the Lord's will over anything else? Are we raising them and training them and teaching them in those ways through the word of God, using it to water their souls in such a way that their consciences be pricked?
one author referring to Daniel's situation of dealing with the food in chapter 1 says, Pressure from Daniel's peers most certainly made the decision difficult. Everyone else was doing it. By choosing this course of action, Daniel and his friends were setting themselves apart from the others. Now they were different and strange. Are we willing to be different from the world? Are we raising our children in a way that they will think and live and desire and have a will to be different from the world in all of its worldly fleshliness? To be different from the world and to say, no world, what you think is good is not good. This is God's good. The writer goes on and says their new location may have tempted them to be unfaithful because Judah was over 900 miles away. Parents and friends would never know whether or not they kept God's laws. I mean, think about it. There's a great distance. What is it that Daniel had in his mind? Nobody's going to know. My parents are way back here. I'm 900 miles from Judah. Who's going to really know? Yet Daniel and his friends were aware of a very important fact. Other people might not know their actions, but God would know. And someday, all will give an account of themselves to him. You see, Daniel and his friends were aware of something that was not just in the moment. Everything in our world is often about in the moment. Daniel and his friends were concerned about something that was far greater than that, something that was eternal. You want to know why today most churches don't look much different than the world? Is because most adults, teenagers, and children are not thinking much different than the world. They're not looking at the world and saying, in and of itself, the fleshliness of the world is not the goodness of God. Daniel and his friends knew something greater than everybody else. No matter who didn't know, God did know. That's walking in real wisdom, which the first portion of wisdom will say at the end is the fear of the Lord. A healthy fear, a right fear. Well, not only did Daniel have a desire or had a will to desire the Lord's will over anything else, Daniel had a common sense to direct his point with, without fleshly anger or vitriol. Daniel had a common sense to direct his point without fleshly anger. It's interesting how Daniel handled himself with the guard, how Daniel handled himself with the king. Think about the whole of these two contexts. Think about the whole of Shadrach and Meshach's context. Each and every one of them 
always walking step by step with some sense of God's grace. Daniel didn't throw his food at the servant of the king, this commander that had been put over them. I will not eat this food. This is beneath me. My God will not have me eat it today. He makes an appeal to the commander with a sense of grace, with a sense of the grace that God had given to him. One writer says Daniel takes the requisite steps to escape such contamination. He politely makes his request to be excused from eating such food. He does not, by stubborn and tactless opposition, needlessly make a martyr of himself. He does not provoke others to persecute him. He simply states his case as objectively and as clearly as he can. That's the way the text puts it. We don't see Daniel flying off the handle, going nuts, pitching a fit, throwing things at people, getting in their face, screaming and yelling. I think there's always some understanding that grace gives us a sense of tact, a sense of thoughtfulness. Those of you who have been reading our home group book, be reminded of how anger raises up in us and is a completely different animal than the grace of God. It's not to say that there's not righteous anger about some things. But when first dealing with his life, Daniel here moves to a place to recognize that he had to deal with things differently. Even when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up and said, we will not worship this idol. They made their point, they stated their case, and they were willing to trust in God. gives us a sense of understanding that Daniel treasured God's word over Nebuchadnezzar's commands. But he never treasured it in a way that he acted outside of God's commands. Number three this morning. Ask the Lord to grant our children kind favor. We need to ask the Lord to grant our children kind favor. You look at Daniel's life, it's interesting. God granted him godly friends. We need to ask that the God, God grant a favor with godly friends in their sphere of life. And once again, that goes along with teaching too, doesn't it? Teaching our children even how to make friends, what friends to look for.
In every sphere of life, we're going to have new people come into it. It's going to constantly change as we grow. It's happened to us as adults, and we see it happening to our children. We need to continue to pray all the way along of the growth of our children that God would grant kind favor to them with godly friends in their sphere of life. But we also have to teach our children how to graciously make friends, don't we? Make good friends. Thoughtful friends. I've noticed over the years that some realms of parenting are kind of live and let live ideas. Then there's some realms of parenting where parents are going to try to absolutely control everything. The two extremes are both wrong. Both wrong. The idea of just live and let live, it will engender engender itself to a place of just whatever happens, it's fine. You'll figure it out. The other extreme of controlling absolutely everything becomes so oppressive that the child can barely sustain living in a home with a parent like that. Those two extremes go far beyond the idea of kind and gracious favor. Sometimes parents parent that way because they see God as an overarching, nasty dictator. Sometimes parents parent the other way because they see God as a, as a butterfly flitting around, letting it go. Our God is neither. He is good and right and wise. His favor is a righteous favor. We need to teach our children to look wisely upon the people they are around. To decipher who those people are and to think wisely about what their intent is. And we need to ask God that he would grant favor and give them godly friends. In every sphere of life. We also need to ask the Lord to grant them a favor with their co-workers in their sphere of life as they grow up. Sometimes it's teachers. Sometimes it's co-workers as they grow up. If we teach our children how to handle people around them, by sticking to what they know is true and yet doing it with the graciousness of principle and not the ire of domination. Daniel endeared himself to this chief eunuch not by giving in but by stating his case thoughtfully and in a way that the man could understand it and even providing the man a way out 
Sometimes we as parents will teach our children the right and the wrong, but not teach them how to decipher something in a way that they can provide the way out, even for someone around them, so that that person may not lose face. That takes real wisdom. Daniel, as a teenager, had enough wisdom not only to state his case in a gracious way, but he had enough wisdom to be able to give his employer, the commander, or this person over him, to give him a way out. Now, this takes wisdom and teaching for us, and once again, this goes back to watering the the seed that's been sprouted by God himself in special grace, watering it with his word. Number four. Lastly this morning. Ask the Lord to grant them useful intelligence. Ask the Lord to grant them useful intelligence. This is intelligence in their sphere of life. Not every child is going to be Einstein or Elon or even close. But they can grow in useful intellect in their realm of living. Are we teaching our children not only how to read letters and words, but how to critically think through what they're reading? When I use the word critically, I don't mean just always critiquing it as being mean and ugly about it. I'm saying to be able to decipher what's going on with that writer, what's going on with the ideas that are being put forth in whatever realm they're in. But even especially as they grow up and they have to work, they can grow in their intellect in the realm of work that they're in. It should not be a disappointment to us that one of our children uh, doesn't become Elon Musk. It should not be a disappointment to us if one of our children or two of our children or three of our children, however many, are just faithful workers somewhere in God's good grace and mercy. But they still, in whatever realm that is, if... They were like my dad. They worked in the trucking industry. But they learned the process of the trucking industry. They grew in the intellect of that realm so that they could speak and work in that world and show the glory of God as a co-worker, as an employee, as a manager, whatever they may be. My wife was telling me about going in the grocery store. And there was a person working in this particular grocery store. And the first time she went 
through the line, she said something to the effect of, you know, hello, are you having a good day? Well, I'm working in retail. And said every time she's been through this person's line, it's a similar response of some kind. And if it's not that response, it's always something negative, some cloud, some problem. Well, this, well, that. I get it. Working at a grocery store may not be everyone's goal in life. But what if for a while it's God's providence and purpose? Are we teaching our children to be faithful at the grocery store as a worker and an employee? To work in the intellect of that sphere of life? Are we falling into the trap of the rest of the world trying to tell our children they're all going to be a star one day? Some of you remember years ago when that show American Idol first came on, a big part of the show was having people try out and for several years they showed some of the worst of the worst. People who would get in front of these internationally known singers and uh, producers and they would say they're going to sing such and such song and they would stand there and they would go and they thought it was great. They were convinced that they were going to get picked. It was just amazing. And I thought to myself, I hope I have the gut someday with a gracious attitude to be able to look at one of my children and say, that's just not for you. You're not going to be a music star. That's just not for you. And it's okay. God still loves you. And He loves you even more in the context of something greater than that. They need intelligence in their sphere of life. But most of what we're producing today is not intelligence in the sphere of life. Most of it is self-serving ego. It's a sad day in our nation. And most of the world, because Europe's no different, really. We're producing young people who can only think of themselves first because they're all going to be a star. As Christians, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, even in our parenting. Even in things like useful intelligence, a useful intellect, even in a grocery store. Be the best, thoughtful grocery bagger you can be. Do it with 
thoughtfulness of every can you put in a bag that you don't smash the bread with that can. See, that, that's a little bit of intellect, isn't it? But teaching a child, you know what? That lady doesn't want that can to smash her bread and for her to get home and have a center section of her bread is smashed with a big circle in it. And then she has to take time to stretch the bread back out. That's useful intellect. That's, you, you know I'm serious, right? You know I'm not kidding. Take some pride in not dumping my food over upside down in a bag at a fast food place. And then saying, have a good day. That's useful intellect. That's teaching our children common sense and courtesy. And we as believers ought to be first and foremost in those things. Well, lastly, this morning, under this, ask the Lord to grant them useful intelligence. Intelligence in their sphere of life, but wisdom in their sphere of life. Are you teaching them to fear the Lord? Are you teaching them the wisdom of His precepts? Are you teaching them the wisdom of His ways? All of this is different than teaching them to know it intellectually. This is different than even teaching them to know it by memorization. This may be teaching them those things both in intellect and memory, but teaching them that all of these precepts are worthy of trusting in the one true living God. If you are sowing and watering in this way, then trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. If you recognize there are places that you may need to strengthen a weakness, well, trust the Lord and ask that he'll strengthen you in it. say to you something I don't know that we often think about. We often think about the grand big things of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But do you realize that God has raised up many Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes who never were thrown into a fire? They just walked faithfully through the difficulties of their sphere of life? It may not have been they were about to be thrown into a fire, but it was still a difficulty. A difficulty to ask a boss to say, I need the Lord's day to worship. The difficulty to ask a boss a particular question that I might not be put in that situation. But it takes useful intellect and wisdom and being raised in a place where they are watered in the Word of God. Not all these Daniels have served before mighty kings, but all these Daniels have served the King of Kings.
Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been merciful once again to show us that in the difficulties of this life, no matter the state of our nation or the culture around us, you are sovereign, sovereign Lord. You will reign over the nations and you reign in your people's hearts and you will not leave them to themselves and you will not lose one of them and we praise you and glory in you alone. Lord, help us to teach our children these things. That the next generation would trust with the same trust that Daniel and his friends trusted with. Lord, we pray and ask your mercy upon our children's lives and hearts and minds. Those who are unbelieving, save them by your mercy and grace. Those who have made profession of faith and you have saved them, Lord, according to your work alone through Christ alone, grow them in these truths. And Lord, we ask that we would be the ones as parents to sow the seed and to water the seed and to trust in your work alone. You are worthy of all our praise, and we give it to you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.